0: The
1: supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it doesn't. AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
2: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa. Science advisor Matt Moniz along as well and we have in the studio joining us tonight Andrew Lake from Greenville Paranormal Research. He'll be here to help lend his expertise in the study of King Philip's War and the many sites that he's visited because we're going to be talking about King Philip's War. It's been the subject of a lot of controversy this week and For those of you who are familiar with the program here, we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night, and King Philip's War often comes up in discussion, and it's kind of a a two-sided coin here. We're not sure exactly which way to go with it. Um, The way we see things, or at least the way I see things, you guys can disagree if you like, but either there is some sort of pocket of energy in this region that helped feed into the conflict, or the conflict being the bloodiest per capita war ever fought on American soil helped create that pocket of energy. So it it's it could go either way. Um, and I've heard theories uh, on both sides of it. Chris Balzano and I have gone over this like we spent hours on the phone talking about what we think. So uh, we'll just throw it out there though that, you know, there is that strong paranormal connection either way to King Philip's war. But tonight we're going to kind of take a step outside of that and we're going to talk about the actual lasting legacy of what happened. I mean, it's not something that we usually go over, but it's not like what the history books would have you believe that, you know, the Wampanoags were defeated and therefore eliminated. That's not the case at all. They're still a thriving community today, and uh, we we deal with a number of uh, different tribes in this area. Uh, Frequently, behind the scenes, when it comes to shows, I I always try to contact them and extend uh, out invitations for them to come and join us, and sometimes they're... You know, they're willing to talk, and other times, you know, they're, they're not. But uh, we've definitely always turned to them and, and given them the opportunity. What's going on right now, if you haven't heard, is a company na- uh, called Multiman Publishing is putting out a board game called King Philip's War. It's not a typical board, you know, it's not like Connect Four or anything like that. You More know, like, like the, Monopoly? The games that I can actually win at. No, no Monopoly is beyond my – I usually lose interest in Monopoly like halfway through. Um, there, but there there's certain games that you know I can handle. Connect 4, Light Bright is another one that I'm pretty good with, um, and the occasional uh, game of Checkers. This is one of those war strategy games. And, and Matt, have you ever played any of these? I know you've played some other different types of games. I don't um, know if you've ever taken part in these.
3: I remember I, uh, playing one when I was a kid, and it was kind of – not your cup uh, of tea? No. It was, it was a lot of work to set it up. I'm kind of like, kind of lazy. Uh, and we I th- got a Nintendo, so it was like...
2: I think when I was younger, I played Risk. And uh, this has been kind of described to me as something like Risk. Uh, so I mean, if you're familiar with that game, you kind of understand. We have photos of the game board up on SpookySouthCoast.com, so you'll see what it is that we're talking about. But these are... I, I guess when you go to some of these... Uh, store, I know there's a store in Dartmouth. I, I can't remember the name of it. There used to be one where they sold these type of games... Uh, you know, wherever they have, like, the Warhammer games and those type of things, you'll see these these games popping up. And so, uh, this company, Multiman Publishing, has put out this game, King Philip's War, and it's sparked a lot of controversy. The Native American community is taking issue with the fact that they're turning such a horrible thing into a board game. Uh, but on the other side of things, the, the gentleman who designed the game, who, uh, John Perneski, is going to join us a little bit later on tonight. He doesn't see it as that. He sees it as it's a way of, of keeping the history of the conflict alive and, and letting people know what happened, because we grew up in Massachusetts. Andrew, I knew you grew up in Rhode Island. Wasn't in our history books. No, no, it
0: wasn't. I wasn't told one thing about it in school. Not at all.
2: It's almost like it was kind of swept under the rug. And usually they say, you know, history is written by the winners. And in this case, you know, the colonists did end up winning if there can be a winner in this, but... Swept under the rug? No, and the
0: thing that uh, surprised me is I just recently learned from my good friend Jim McNasher, who's a a historian who wrote the book uh, Smithfield uh, Sketches of Apple Valley and uh, Forgotten Rhode Island. He just recently learned that in the month of July of uh, 1676, the King Philip's War nearly ended in Smithfield instead of Annawan. Almost the same kind of uh, location, a a rock formation in the middle of a swamp. And uh, from what he could uh, figure out, Church, uh, after seeing so many people being killed, uh, told his men to back off and gave him a chance to retreat. Hmm. So uh, I think that adds to it's- my opinion that Church uh got kind of a bum rap. I don't think he so much is responsible for the betrayal at Anawan Rock as his probably his superior's.
2: Well, we'll get into that with our guest tonight because we were actually talking about Benjamin Church uh, the other night when we were discussing this. Uh, Professor Julianne Jennings is going to join us right now. She uh, She's also known as Strong Woman because she's a member of the nottoway chara tribe, I hope I said that right, uh, and from Virginia. She has been educating children and adults on native New England history and culture since 1995. She served as associate co-producer to the Emmy Award-winning PBS documentary, Mystic Voices, The Story of the Pequot War. Ms. Jennings is the author of several journal articles and books on southern New England Indians and is the recipient of the James Houston Award in Anthropology, and she joins us now tonight. She is uh, She's also a part of the Anthropology Department at Rhode Island College, which, you know, it, whenever an academic steps into anything... Remotely paranormal. We know what happens, <laughs> Professor Jennings. So hopefully, uh, you know, your colleagues are going to listen all the way through before they razz you about coming on the ghost show.
4: Okay.
2: <laughs> Thank you for joining us.
4: You're welcome.
2: Now, we were, we were discussing this the other night, and a lot of the media coverage that has been surrounding this is that uh, it's being seen as either a plus or a minus, uh, that e- the Native people are against it, and the gaming company is for it, and that there doesn't seem to be any common ground between the two. And I don't think that's an accurate portrayal from what we were discussing.
4: No, I don't think that's the case. Um, when I first heard of the game coming out, I read about it in the uh, Providence Journal like everybody else, and um, I was quite surprised um, at first. And as an academic and who teaches about uh, New England history and culture, especially the Native perspective, um, I was immediately concerned about the content and the learning outcomes because in reading um, the article, it states that this game is meant to be a learning tool. And um, I definitely saw that as a potential. But again, I needed to know, you know, who was organizing it, who was putting it together, and what type of history was going to be included Um in the creation of, say, the pamphlet or the explanation that was going to accompany the game, mm-hmm. um, others uh, also immediately, you know, look at, looked at it as, you know, how can we make tragedy fun? This this isn't a good thing, and um, I, I was very concerned also regarding that perspective. And so, how do we, you know, connect and have dialogue so that uh, everybody's voice is going to be heard? You know, equally, because, you know, you have to wear three hats here. You have to look at the native perspective. You have to look at the colonial perspective. And then you have to honor and respect liberalism. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty much the approach in which I was going to take it.
2: Well, I think part of the issue is, uh, and, and we can talk about this with uh, John when he joins us later on, but... Outside of this region, and even within this region, a lot of people think that the New England Native Americans are extinct, that they're wiped out.
4: Yeah, they don't really understand the complexity of the war, and I mean, you know, this had taken place right in their own backyard, and you ask many, uh, in my case, when I ask students if they've ever heard of the King Philip's War, they have no clue. This has been an incident, you know, swept under the rug because it was so horrific. We know that 5,000 people had perished in this war, at least seventy-five percent of them being native, and you know you have to look at the uh, issue of uh, unprocessed, um, you know, shame and guilt associated with that. And we really don't want to talk about it, you know, and that, that this is something we need to talk about so that there can be some type of understanding and reconciliation.
2: It's amazing that we talk about you know the conflicts that help build America, and we always look back them back at them in a positive light. You know, we we say about the the heroism of the Revolutionary War, of the French and Indian War, of, you know, the War of 1812, all these different battles that helped shape American destiny and American character. Mm-hmm. And I think that King Philip's War is almost an, an embarrassment uh, in that regard where they don't want to talk about it because, in the end, both sides turned out to kind of be wrong. Well,
4: um, I, I see it a little differently. We do need to talk about it when we talk about Native peoples in present day, because first of all, the King Philip's War, um, and we should get into the name of that. Um, it, it was uh, Medicon, you know, uh, who was the leader of the Pokanokets. He was the son of uh, Usamiquin, the Massasoit who greeted the Pilgrims. Um, that it's really not about winners or losers. It's it's more about giving wholly accurate information so that students. Can critically think for themselves. Uh, my job is not to sway them in their thinking, but to give them primary documentation, to explain certain points in the history, so that when current native issues come to the table and they are now, you know, uh, armed with accurate information, they're not going to um, make a, de- a decision based on mythology or emotion, but by fact. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. And that's, and that's the learning piece that I'm trying to achieve.
2: Well, I mean, it's, unfortunately though, I mean, fortunately for us because we, in, we enjoy being able to bring information to people, but unfortunately, a lot of times the only way people are learning about this is through, you know, discussion in this regard. People talking about it on the radio, uh, or maybe television documentaries. Our friend Aaron Cadu is working on a film called The First Patriots about King Philip's War. And this is the way that it's being taught. It's not something that's being taught with a critical eye in our history classes.
4: That's absolutely right. And and because of this game, see the potential in this game, and having this uh, notoriety come out of it, so to speak, or recognition coming out of it, or attention being brought about uh, the creation of this game, has hopefully now... uh, getting educated, such as myself and others, to say, you know, this is a history we really need to, you know, put back into the classroom because it's so critical. It's, it's you know, it's conscious building, it's identity building, it's critical thinking and strategic and uh, building and, you know, all those things that are necessary for children to think beyond. Just, you know, always spoon-feeding them a history. And in the words of uh, Jill Lepore, who wrote uh, In the Name of War, uh, those who, you know, who have access to pen, pencil, and printing uh, press, you know, uh, control empire. And they need to know that there's another side, another story, another voice that's missing.
5: I've got a question. Would people accept this game if it was, say, named Wounded Knee? You understand where I'm going with this? I mean, can I, group... I,
4: I think you'd probably hit... I, I think you'd have... You know, still, I don't know. I don't want to use the word resistance, but I, I think you would definitely bring attention to native groups, you know, who are associated with Wounded Knee, um, to the fore to to want to discuss it, want to discuss the content. It's really important that, again, it's not about winners or losers, but it's having wholly accurate information to allow people to think for themselves and to to build. Uh, uh, an understanding uh, to everything that had happened.
2: Well, I, I think because of maybe the population of the country, uh, the sophistication of the country at the time that you know the the colonial well the the Americans started spreading westward, because of the way that the country was at that time, a lot more prevalent history was written about that, about the Trail of Tears, about right. the you know the relocation of different tribes, but because. America was so young, not even America yet. It was still a colony. At the time of this, it was easy to kind of obscure this. Yes. So we don't, you know, I think with calling it Wounded Knee, there's even more emotion attached to that. On both sides, and we feel so much white man 's guilt about what happened that we you know we don 't want to
5: well that 's what my point is i, I mean it 's easier for people to accept it because they really don 't know anything about what happened with we 've already
2: opened up that wound to right. ourselves and I say ourselves you know a lot of us are immigrants, but we've as a country that did this we 've already opened up that wound and we 've rubbed the salt in it to suffer the slings and arrows of what we did in regard to that and in terms of what they did to the new England natives when we got here, I think that we've kind of just ignored the that and not owned The weather, and sports, and... And the great <laughs> spirit chimes in. The great spirit of technology. Our, our computer sometimes does that, okay. Professor. We, we, we apologize. But, I mean, is, with bringing this out there, though, and as you said, we have to create accurate information, even if we're going to make a game like this, we have to make sure that we're accurately portraying what happened. I asked the question to some people, you know, would anybody be upset if it was a game about World War II? They have games about World War II. Mm-hmm. They have games about World War I and other, you know, Civil War, other conflicts. But I think because the history of that is so widely taught that we understand both sides of it. So if we say, you know, the goal is to go and kill the Nazis, we understand what that means. We understand who the Nazis were and what. So. Well, let me put another spin to it. What if a Native American
4: game group created a game called, you know, Custer, Died for Your Sins. Let's say a Native American group created, please forgive me, the 9-11 game.
2: <laughs> you see what I'm God, saying? Exactly.
4: I, th- I, I really think, you know, the same kind of um, uh, arousal would take place in, 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 you know, the non-Native community to say this is preposterous, this is, this is not right, this is, you know, this is profiteering off of tragedy. Um, so... You know, I, I think you can say that in all fairness.
2: The other aspect of it is, and if anybody wants to chime in, please give us a call five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Email us Spooky Crew at spookysouthcoast dot com. We can read them right here on the air, and also uh, our friend Craig. Uh, if you click on the chat link on spookysouthcoast.com, dot com, our friend Craig is running a chat room. Uh, on his site, where he'll discuss this with you because he has become. He lives down in the South, but through discussing it here on the show, he's a huge history buff. He hosts a, a radio podcast himself called Our History Project. Mm-hmm. He's devoted a lot of his time to King Philip's War. Mm. And it's even worse down there because, you know, at least here, we're familiar with the fact that the natives are, are still here, and down there, they. They think the same thing that other people in other parts of the country think. There are no more New England natives.
4: Yeah, and may, and again, this may lead to curriculum building, you know, um, not only here within southern New England schools, but, you know, maybe along the eastern seaboard to... to because it is the starting point, you know. It, it truly is the starting point of, um, you know, our, our history. And I, I really think it, it deserves more attention than what it's gotten in the past.
2: I, I think if you need to look at a positive out of what happened, it did forge the colonists' identity as being sovereign from England, because this was something that was a colonial problem.
4: Yeah, but we've got to also ask at whose expense.
2: Well, sure, yes. absolutely.
4: But uh, Yeah, I mean, that's just one way of looking at it. And so, again, I think, you know, the, the awakening, you know, in regards to this game, um, I think something positive could uh, definitely come out of it.
2: And I think the fact that these groups have acted so quickly on it, uh, we're going to see, I mean, the game isn't even in production yet. Yeah, I think what alerted a
4: lot of um, people was that in the reading, if I understood it correctly, that they need an order of 500 games in order to get it you know, uh, manufactured and, and created and so forth. Um, and I think the last count was something like 300. And so I guess there was this immediate need to, to react.
2: And, and there's still time to make those changes, yeah. and we'll talk to Multiman later on and see what they have planned. up. But right right now we have a call, Okay. so let's go to the phones. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast with Professor Julian Jennings. How you doing?
6: Hey, Tim, it's Craig Anderson. How are you? Hey,
2: Craig, we were just talking about you, as you know.
6: Yeah, I was about to say, I'm not on the chat anymore. I'm over here. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I did have a, a couple of questions for Dr. Jennings if I could. The sure. and, and, and because of what it is, Tim, I don't know if you want to go into what... I'm looking at on the, the actual board game itself, because I think it does have relevance in what we're talking about here. Uh, number one, on Dr. Jennings' side, on what the board game actually is, I was looking at and I pulled down the descriptions of the rules of play, and I, I do have to admit this is probably some of the worst history I have ever seen in my life uh, as far as the way the pre-context is written. It gives you almost no insight or pre-war, very little during war, and almost nothing post-war. But on the other side, and some of the questions I had for Dr. Jennings was, in reading the papers, and you're going to have to forgive me because I am completely removed from the New England side, as as you know, Mm -hmm. but through the two articles that I pulled down, and I wish I could have gotten more in-depth on some study on this, but on the articles that I read... It talks continuously about sanitizing, trivialization, uh, diminishing the sacrifice. <laughs> I understand the concept of it. And for a board game, the, the rules and the games of play did seem to be very accurate and very well thought out. What bothered me tremendously was the lack of resources and the and, and I can call in later on and, and talk to your other guests about that. But I guess at this point, in 1973, the U.S. Park Service pulled out a lot of the artifacts from their national park museums strictly because there was not an interest in it. They wanted to show something that's going on. They wanted more interaction. They wanted to put another spin on it and let everybody learn. Since then, we've came out with games and, and so forth in order to get the younger generations involved in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as you know, history, and for anybody's cause, is going to be sanitized. You can't look at World War II footage and see all the buildings in, in that place and not ever think about who were the people had died in there. So, so in, in saying that, on the, on the couple of different articles that I read, uh, it, it, it goes back to you have a prime opportunity, and this is the difference between the, the historian and the marketer.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: And wh- number one, has there been any any correlation drawn between trying to work with this company? And if so, the articles that I'm reading has nothing about being educating the public about the
2: king's well, war as we were discussing earlier though craig you kind of got to throw out the articles uh, right. in terms of any type of balance because it seems like they're trying to play up the controversy okay and and uh, professor jennings you you mentioned to me before that you know they kind of cherry pick what they're going to use in stories like this to to play up the conflict angle
4: Yes, that, and also when I went to the site to get some initial grounding, you know, background information uh, regarding the game, you know, because the game is still in its infancy, uh, I think what's posted on the web to describe the game and the rules and so forth, um, I think they need to be looked at and, and reconsidered and rewritten, before, you know, even before they had gone out, because one of the words on the website that really caught me, and many others, like in the article, was the word eliminated. And when using that word, it's very harsh. What it's saying to us is that, well, not only was King Philip and the leaders eliminated, but so were all people and tribes. When We know that's not the case. So I made a suggestion uh, to MMP um, uh, Brian, uh, in particular, saying you know, if you just made this simple word change from King Philip and his men were captured and defeated, you know, it just it, ta- it takes you know uh, that word eliminated, and you know um, allows to show that there's evolution, you know, after the fact. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, yes, compromises can are going are being uh, talked about and suggested. And actually, I talked to John last night, and uh, I, I think this is a good thing. Again, I, I think maybe in the excitement of having created this game, you know, uh, let's put something out there just to satisfy the pub- public, just to get their interest, and I understand that as being a marketing ploy. But I didn't think they considered that Native peoples, <laughs> you know, who, who, were, who were descendant of uh, King Philip, and uh, there's,
6: uh, we're going yeah, to take but, such, uh, you know, umbrage with that. On my aspect, we're at schools all the time, and I'm at different organizations all the time, especially historical organizations. Mm-hmm. And the King-Philips War is one thing that I absolutely talk about continuously. Mm-hmm. And it, it is amazing that, you know, nobody has really heard of it. Right. To be the bloodiest war per capita in the United States. So, you know, I always look at this as, I, I, I saw this as as a great learning tool if it was actually put together in an aspect that you could learn from it. Absolutely, from, as, from
2: that's that's my that's the
6: focus. Yes.
2: Well, I'll and, say. I'll, I mean, I don't mean to defend, and obviously, we'll have Brian and John on later, and they can they can tell their side of it. But I'm just going to guess that when John was designing this game, he wasn't thinking that you know I'm basically responsible for the history of an entire people with this. Uh, and I, I don't think that they realize that there's so much more history to it than just what you can find, you know, reading about it online, because there's really only a small handful of books available nationally about the topic. There's very few websites uh, that really get in-depth more than a couple of paragraphs about it. And let's face it, I mean, most people are going to go to Wikipedia for information rightly or <laughs> wrongly.
4: Yeah, and I'll tell you what uh, also, is that gentleman still on the line? Correct, yes, sure, ma'am. Ma'am. Yeah, what also is significant in um, the, the game, the creation of the game, and when they were test-piling, going to test-pilot it, the thing that also got me, and I don't think they totally understood this, is that um, I guess they were trying it within... One, one group, and I think it was the Chappaquiddick, a splinter group of the Chappaquiddick, it, which is a tribe in, uh, you know, mass. And my my concern was you can't have one small you know, splinter group be the voice of many because the Wampanoag, it, it's a federation of many, many tribes, mm-hmm. you see. And so I know it's unrealistic to test pilot the game amongst everyone, but there should have been a larger Sampling or a wider net cast, you see, and also to include the Narragansett, right. and that was another issue that we had uh,
6: discussed. Well, you know, because when I was looking at the 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 articles, number one, and I know, understand that we could, we need to throw that out because, as you say, they are cherry picking. Uh, but on well, what they did print print in there, there was uh, a lot from the opposition side that was a a negative aspect and didn't portray, uh, I guess, a truthful light on what the protests were. Because some of you scratch your head and you say, this is kind of crazy. You know, if you have an opportunity to get it out there, let's educate it, take this opportunity to to, to spread it, and how can you... uh, Or do you want to just shove it under the rug and please let's never talk
2: about it again? I'll say that, and Professor Jennings, I don't mean to speak for for the native people, but I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say that as much as we're talking about the ignorance of a lot of the stuff by the game developers and the game writers, there's probably some ignorance on the side of the natives as well as to what the game is all about because they don't either don't play these types of games or haven't had a chance to play this type of game, and they're just going based on either what they've heard or what's written on the website. Well, I, I don't want to... Use that word
4: ignorance because sure. that that that's a little too harsh. Sure. But
2: again, I, I, and I'm not placing blame
4: because when I read uh, John's statements, I, I told him over the phone yesterday that I believe his heart was in the right place. But again, if you don't understand who's who, in, you know, uh, in, in, in community, in the community, you know, or within the tribes, again, I don't think a wide enough net was casted. You see what I'm saying? So it never gave opportunity you know, for others to see how the game is played. You see what I'm saying? It, let me just talk like an anthropologist for a second. <laughs> um, ethics is a big thing, all right? And so when we're going to do research, John's a historian, uh, Bruce sounds like a very intelligent, I'm sorry, Brian is a very intelligent man. The number one thing, anthropologists, historians, researchers have to do is think of ethics. And the Code of Ethics states that when you're going to write about a particular group, everyone needs to be well-informed because we have to think of the impact. So let's go back to the beginning. When this game was even being conceived, you see, there should have been an outreach, you see, to the Native community, mm-hmm. to the get-go, yeah, right
2: from the to beginning.
4: explain First of all, what simulated games are about, what war games entail. And it shouldn't have just been from one small sample group. It should have been from a larger sampling. And and that's where I think the bottom had fallen out. And so knowing that, and knowing that we've, like, uh, said, hello, we're here, hello, there's more of us, you know, I think we're all beginning to realize that. You know, I had made um, a few con- uh, um, Contacts trying to con- t- contact MMP to say, you just can't stop at one, one, one little group. There needs to be more, or there needs to be a central location. Let it be known that this is going to take place so that other people could come on board. So, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, I think it's a, a, a misunderstanding, a lack of communication. Well, we know that lack of, lack of communication is, is the spoils of everything. But I think now that we're all communicating, I think things are going to be much, much better.
2: All right. Well, Craig, we're going to have to let you go because we have another call coming in, but certainly uh, feel free to call back in the second hour when we have John on. I did just get word, though, that Brian uh, Brian yaus is not going to be able to join us because he's got you know he got to work. So, <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, he did send his apologies, and, and hopefully we can have him on the show a little bit later on as we get closer to the least state of the game.
4: Yeah, and let me just say something, you know, in, in defense of Brian. He's been, um, since we've contacted, he has been – you know, very open-minded, very very um, agreeing to want to meet with us and things like that. So we're trying to hammer out some details.
2: Excellent. All right, thanks, Craig. We'll talk to you in a bit. Like sir. Thank All you. Time. All right, let's go right to the next call. Good evening. You were on Spooky South Coast with Professor Julianne Jennings. How are you doing?
7: Hey, guys. How are you?
2: Oh, spooktacular. You know that.
7: Oh, I know that. You're always spooktacular.
2: Thank you for bringing this to my attention, by the way.
7: Oh, no problem. Actually, it was Audrey who brought it to my True. attention, and then... I couldn't just let it go because you know that the Wampanoags have a place in my heart. Um, You know, so I'm kind of of two minds with this because I really feel like the education of this war is really important. But, I mean, on the other side, it's just, you know, it's almost like what what have we been doing since time began We have been annihilating other peoples just because they're different from us. And, you know, so it's kind of making me feel back and forth with this. I'm not even really sure how I feel about it. I I want people to know about this war and the people that suffered so terribly. But on the other side, I mean, it it just seems wrong to me, too, if that makes sense to you.
2: No, I understand. I mean, uh, it was wrong. I mean, I don't think anybody can can argue that, uh, especially when you're slowly uh, trying to overtake uh, people without using force, and then you actually get to the point where force is used. Uh, it's just an escalation of of overthrowing them. Uh, but, and Professor Jennings, is you talk about this all the time, and, and you are somebody who goes out and lectures about Native relations, and is this something that we're still feeling the effects of today within the Native community?
4: Yeah, I would say that I like to use the word historical trauma. You know, like we can definitely um, acknowledge that Vietnam vets had suffered and still suffer from, you know, trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, rape victims, 9-11 uh, peoples, and for some reason for Native peoples it's, it's just not uh, acknowledged and, and we need to start to sensitize people to the fact that we are still here, even though we had to surmount an identity based on war, disease, uh, Christianity, you know, isolation, loss of language, blood mixing. You know, we are still here, and uh, we have made great contributions to this country even after the fact. And so y- what we need to do is when we can start talking, you know, um, Openly begin to have dialogue in a safe place. Um, I believe there has to come a time, and I'm, and I'm pushing always for a time of resolution, reconciliation, where there's some kind of balance in the middle. And, and that's where we need to go now because it, it's getting very old, uh, begrudging, uh, based on, as your caller was saying, you know, gee, look what we've done. You know, no one needs to feel sorry in this time because we don't know, um, well, we know the people that were responsible, but they 're no longer here with us. Mm. but if we remain ignorant about the truth and the facts, then we 're responsible in this time to remain to to create you know inequity you see
2: what I'm all right, i 'm saying definitely. I can bring in a little bit of a modern uh, footnote to all of this uh, in my day job i 'm a sports writer for the local newspaper here, and my assignment this week was to write previews of the high school lacrosse teams yeah. with a, a feature on the growth of lacrosse in this area. And uh, speaking with U.S. lacrosse, you know the numbers of people who play this sport across the country are phenomenal. And it's growing at the the highest percentage of any youth sport uh, in the country, with the exception of bowling, which surprised me because I didn't think that many people were bowling. But it's it's really taking off, except in this area. And this area seems to be dragging its heels in getting into lacrosse. And, of course, for those who don't know, lacrosse was invented by the Native Americans. They were playing it long before the, you know, the first people from the New World set foot here. And it was a spiritual game to them. It was a, a way to commune with the, the higher power. Uh, and it was a, a similar to this board game that we're talking about. It was a game of war strategy to the Native peoples. But the fact that even something as simple as a sport like lacrosse, we swept that under the rug for so long, and even now we're just starting to talk about it because there seems to be across the board, you know, uh, uh, let's put down Native culture.
4: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it, again, because it's easier to sweep it under the rug because it makes people uh, feel uncomfortable having to address, you know, this, this horrific uh, moment in time. But we need to have this dialogue. We need to move forward, and this is the only way we're going to do
2: it. And on a paranormal note, Professor, I mentioned that we had a, a, a friend and colleague and, and a listener who has actually kind of communed with the Native spirits, especially out at Anawan Rock. That's our caller that's on the line right now. Mm-hmm. So she's uh, she's definitely, definitely, way you've made a personal connection.
7: Oh, definitely. I feel that way. I mean, one of the projects that I'm working on right now is because I feel so strongly connected with them that I want more people to know about them. So I, I am actually trying to write a book about the war from their side. And one thing that you guys made me think of when, when you were speaking about that was Mary Rowlandson's mm-hmm. um, report or, or writings on her captivity with the Wampanoags. It made me see something about the two cultures because... Here was Mary Rawlinson looking at Weedemow, who to me was probably this beautiful queen of the Wampanoags who had five husbands, to crying out loud. How many people do you know that are, you know, that sought out, that, you know, to me that, that makes her seem like she was a woman of quite a bit of, you know, status.
2: Well, what about Liz and, Taylor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you met at the same time. oh,
7: okay. uh, <laughs> Well, you know, here she is, she's looking down on Wiedemoe and saying that she spent all day getting dressed and putting on her jewelry, and, you know, she was a prideful vixen was, I think, her exact words of how she described her. And you know what, that jewelry and her dressing was her status, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and for a white person to look in, they saw it as sinful and prideful and terrible, but... For her, that was her status and her position in the tribe, and they just they could never see eye to eye. Yeah, know? it, it so, was
4: definitely a, a clash in perspective, because you know, let's forget they had the Queen of England. <laughs> you <laughs> know, so in other words, native peoples cannot have that kind of status or authority. Yeah, so um, again, it was just different perspectives on uh, each other uh, that brought about uh, clashes.
2: Thank you very much, Luann, for calling in and sharing. And...
7: Oh, anytime. But one thing I would like to say, though, is I would like to see it, it in the school curriculums as a regular part of our history lessons, because it's not. And I know when I was a kid, I was lost looking for those Wampanoag's. And when I'd find an arrowhead, it was a treasure to me. And it was like, where are they? Where did they go? They, You know, we see Thanksgiving, and we don't realize that the Wampanoag's saved the pilgrims from starving to death that year and we should be you know more thankful to them for what they've done and i really do wish that we would teach it in the schools a lot more than what we do because that was something i will never forget from my childhood where were the wampanoags they were lost to me and it's almost like i could feel them out there you saw that writing that i did i could feel them out there but where did they go they just disappeared no
4: they're still here
7: they are still here and i'm glad that they are and i'm glad that i met their spirits too because they really they just they touched my heart in a way that has changed my life
4: you know how you can help you can definitely encourage your local schools to um create curriculum um on on this on this moment in time outside of paper it is part
7: of my presentations whenever i have to do like a presentation that has to do with the paranormal, I bring in King Philip War every time I
2: can. <laughs> well, maybe we should come up with something that we can actually bring into the local schools, an actual program that we can bring into the schools. I think that uh, we may find some resistance at first, but if we can get into a few of them, I think it'll take off.
7: I, I don't know. I think you've got the
4: connections for that, Tim. That's a great idea.
2: Well, we have an actual anthropology professor here who might be able to open a few more doors, too. <laughs>
4: well, I'm working on that right now because I'm trying to approach, uh, I, I have approached Rhode Island College. I spoke with the president, uh, Dr. Nancy Cariulo, to go to the Department of um, the School of Education and possibly create that curriculum. I tried to get it out there.
7: So that would be a point for you.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Luann.
7: Anytime, guys. Thanks for bringing it up.
2: You too. Bye-bye. Good night. Now, shame on me for having to say this, but uh, until we started this show uh, over four years ago, and I was in my late 20s, I had never even heard of King Philip's War. That's how ignored it was in my school curriculum Mm -hmm. Um, and we've got about eight minutes before the the news break here that we have to take and then we can obviously finish it up on the other side as well but let's get into exactly what king Philip's war was to people who just hear us talking about this and are going online and basically just looking at the wikipedia article to try to answer (laughs) their questions
4: well again uh, it's only going to be a capsule summary uh to explain the uh, King Philip's War but you have to understand you know you got to turn to the Pequot War of 1636 1637 that took place in Connecticut and really what was happening was that the function of wampum wampum being shell beads you know among northeastern uh, native groups had shifted from a gift giving uh, and recipro- uh, reciprocity type exchange you know to a more capitalistic market in which um, uh beaver and wampum became tied, you know, and caused uh, a, a, a competition and eventually a conflict. Um, so, you know, that's critical. And when beaver pelts became depleted in the area, um, you know, in southern New England in particular, um, Native peoples had to seek other means uh, to become to, to to stay within uh you know within the uh, commercial world that was beginning to happen and so the only thing that they had left you know was land you know um, we had europeans ex- you know expanding upon the land privatizing the land um eventually native peoples were getting engaged in you know signing their x moxes you know uh, on on land that they really didn't understand the concept um, to where things begin to escalate.
2: Well, I was going to say, isn't it kind of wasn't it kind of uh, humorous to the natives to the idea of the selling and owning of land because nobody could really own the land.
4: I wouldn't say humorous, but they just didn't have this concept that land was to be held in all, you know all eternity, you know, to, to just an individual. Uh, so and, I, and again, their ex-moxes alone speak volumes that they really didn't understand this exchange of, of land ownership.
2: Actually, and I hate to interrupt in the middle of uh, trying to get through the history here, but we have a call coming in, mm-hmm. so let's take that. Um, good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with Professor Julianne Jennings. How you doing?
3: Hi Tim. It's uh, Sean from Rosendale calling.
2: Hi Sean. How you doing? And I know that you're a student of King Phillips War for sure.
3: Uh, I've been reading up on it about fifteen years. Uh, like yourself, I, I had I had heard the name, and it's on a couple of the schools, like King Phillips Regional. And I always wondered who King Philip was, and I started to investigate it about 15 years ago, and I've picked up some great some books and booklets on it. And if I could recommend a few, um, there's a series put out by um, it's private um, Publications, um, and the author is Leo Bonafonte, and he does a whole series. It's Biographies and Legends of the New England Indians. He starts right off, um, you know, pre, um, you know, um, European contact. He goes he goes into to, through the whole history, and, has, and he's got two booklets, and they're very in depth on the King Philip's War. And you know, from that, I got, I got a little bit of an understanding of what's going on, and what the professor said about this being overlooked. It's so so uh, true, because people don't have a clue about it. And what 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 I really find interesting is the early history of of this area. And when, like, Deerfield, Massachusetts, that was the frontier. So all that early New England um, history of the Indians is very interesting to me. And in some of the books, it goes on to say uh, that the Massachusetts Indians, which were here around Boston Harbor and all, they had come down with a plague just prior to uh, the settle, you know, settling of Charlestown in that area. And prior to that, they were always at war with the... Um, the Indians from Maine, the Mm Tarantines, they would come down just at harvest time and wreak havoc and take all their crops and go back. They were very warlike, but the Indians, from what I read around the Massachusetts area, were pretty um, peaceful in their ways.
4: Well, you know, I wouldn't um, specify one group being more peaceful over another or more hostile over another. It's like any any kind of territorial dispute, Um, but the thing that really ignited Um, the the King Philip's war was um, land when um, Philip himself was asked to sign a waiver of any claim to land in his ancient territories and uh, move toward a full European land privatization you know which just steadily kept expanding and so this audacious request was definitely met with refusal intentions that only mounted so in 1671 English authorities demanded that he surrender his arms and voluntarily sell more land so by, time, by the time 1673 came along, Peter Talman of Mount Hope, Rhode Island, won his legal claim to more Wampanoag land. Understand, anything that took place in, in, in English courts uh, was always going to be in favor of the English, and, and this also created, you know, uh, hostilities. Um, so finally, yet, uh, things became fever pitch in 1674 when a soldier of Medicom assassinated an Indian who was collaborating with the English Two of MediCom's soldiers were then arrested and hanged on June 8th of 1675 for this crime. And this basically was the final straw. And on June 24th, 1675, the King Philip's War broke out in Mount Hope and Swansea. It swept across the area onto Rhode Island, where Providence, Cranston, Warwick were all attacked, including the loss of Roger Williams's house, who was um, the founder of Rhode Island, and his papers. Many towns were burned, such as Taunton, Middleborough, Brookfield, Medfield. Deerfield, Northampton, Springfield, Groton. I mean, on and on and on. More than half of the 90 towns in New England were attacked during this campaign.
2: Well, we are we are coming up on the, uh, the, the news break here. Uh, Sean, if you want to get one final point in before we have to go.
3: Um, I lost my train of thought there, <laughs> but I... I <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay.
2: Well, thank you very much for, for calling in and sharing and, and for being somebody who has been able to help educate us on this topic as well.
3: Okay, thanks so much. All right, have a good night. Bye-bye.
2: Yeah, we are coming up on the news, but when we come back on the other side, Professor Jennings, let's talk more about the history of the war because you were telling me some interesting things on the phone the other night that you know I hadn't known about the war of, of really what some of these causes were, and we'll get into that. So many people are going to be hearing names of people that were involved in this and starting to understand why they live on Tispaquin Street or why they swim in a pond. You know, known, known for a Native name, they they hear these names but they don't know what they mean. Right. So we'll get into all of that and more, and uh, also. And then shame on me for not remembering this, but, uh, but uh, Craig sent me an email saying that there is a 30-minute classroom edition of Our History Project discussing King Philip's War. It's called the King Philip's War Classroom Edition. It's available on OHP.com, OurHistoryProject.com. So if you want to download it there and bring it into your school, you'll be able to at least get a, a good taste uh, of how to teach this in the classroom. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more discussing King Philip's War, and we'll speak to the designer of the game, John Paninski, as well, coming up on Spooky South. For-
1: This can't
2: be happening. <laughs> the happening. Spooky so cool. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not nah, screw it. <laughs> welcome, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. A little bit of a technical problem there. I don't know. I think you need to charge that thing up. That was a Ta- gremlin under the wire. desk, time, I saw him. Time to get a new one? Loose is wire. Loose wire? Yep. I, I, if I were you, I would just use it as an excuse to ask Apple to send you a new one. Apple, if you're listening. An iPad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Science advisor, Matt Moniz, and Andrew Lake from Greenville Paranormal Research is here as well, and I promise he'll get more involved in the discussion here <laughs> in the second hour. Uh, but we are talking about King Philip's War, and we're talking about the controversy around a new proposed game. Well, I guess it's, it's pretty much a guaranteed thing now because with all the controversy surrounding it and the attention that it's getting, and with our audience, uh, you know, we know that we can probably guarantee that they'll have enough numbers to start putting the game into production. The difference being now that the dialogue has been opened, between the publishers, multi-man publishing, and the Native American people, they can actually get it right and get it to the point where it's a valuable teaching tool. Our guest tonight is Professor Julianne Jennings, also known as Strong Woman. Uh, she is a anthropology professor at Rhode Island College, and she's also a member of the Nottoway Charonhaka tribe. Am I pronouncing that right, Professor Jennings? Because a lot of these Native names do escape me. Yes,
4: yeah, Charonhaka, and I'm also Eastern
2: Sharon. Pequot. Okay. So. And we, we talked in the first hour about how, you know, these people, these native peoples are often portrayed almost as being an extinct group, but they are still alive and well. Uh, is there a place, I know there's a, a, a federation of Wampanoags on the Cape, where and they have a museum there where people can go and learn. Is there a resource people can go to to find out more? I think
4: uh, you could possibly contact the MASHP. Um, I think they're the group you're talking about. Yep.
2: All right. Well, and we'll have links up on SpookySouthCoast.com dot com if we don't already. Have, we may even have them from a past show as well. Uh, but we were talking about the history of King Philip's War, and we were discussing how you know the the relations between the colonists and the natives uh, they had started to get a little bristly, and things kind of came to a head, uh, at least in what I've learned, uh, when John Sassamon, who was an advisor to, to Metacom or King Philip actually started playing both sides a little bit? So it's been written.
4: Uh, Jill Lepore's um, uh, book, uh, In the Name of War, I think is an excellent book, and it gets into that because he could speak English. You know, again, there was some... some. Uh, it, it put him in a position where he could strategize, you know, um, and play both sides, as you say. Um, but I would definitely say uh, read Jill Lepore's uh, book because she gets heavily into that.
2: Well when that when the whole thing came down, uh I know that uh Metacom's brother Wamsutta had you know been murdered well yeah no, died mysteriously, I should say
4: yeah died mysteriously, and that again you know another you know uh, piece of the puzzle that just set set things askew
2: and that was in the home of the uh the governor of the Plymouth colony, Josiah Winslow, so uh, obviously you know these tensions just keep building and building, and then. From what I understand, Metacom and, and his advisors and his people, they retaliated against John Sassamon, and that's what kind of got the colonists involved in bringing those natives to trial.
4: Yeah, exactly. You know, again, there's like a number of things happening. European, you know, the, the English are expanding on the landscape, lands becoming privatized, uh, un- misunderstanding of, of land, land transactions, you know, um, sure. You know, and that's uh, what started to get uh, the ball rolling.
2: And you had mentioned cows to me. I had never heard that before. What was that again? You had mentioned cows to me the other night on the phone.
4: Oh, and, yeah, another piece was, again, to, when uh, the English um, cows uh, would roam uh, freely, um, they would roam into native, um, you know, cornfields. And, again, when natives pushed to have things rectified, go to court, again, the English courts, the, co- the colonies courts, you know, worked in their favor you know, for, for the English, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and that's just another piece, you know, uh, of building tension, building mistrust, misunderstanding, and it, it just, just you know, keeps going and going and going.
2: Well, we are discussing this board game, this King Philip's War proposed board game, and joining us now on the line, we have uh, John Poniski, who is the developer of the game, and let's bring him up there, Matt. John, am I pronouncing your name right? Poniski, close P- enough. Poniski. Okay. I, I promise you, that's how I was saying it in the first hour. So thank you for joining us And, uh, you know, what do you have against the Native Americans there, John?
1: I don't have anything at all against them
2: How how did you discover King Philip's War? Uh, Because we're talking about how we live in the area where it happened And we're not even taught it in our school So I can't imagine it was something that was part of your history classes growing up
1: Correct Um, I first learned of King Philip's War uh, By reading a December 2004 article in Military History magazine The article gave a brief overview of the war that emphasized the strategic importance of the war and its brutality, and I was intrigued because I'd never heard of it before. Um, Since it appeared that this was the first and the most successful large-scale opposition to European colonialism, I thought it would be a good topic to pursue.
2: Now, you have a, a military background yourself, right? Yes, And so, at what point did you start getting involved with these games, these board games uh, with War Strategy?
1: Well, I grew up in a a game-playing family, and I remember when I was in grade school uh, playing military-type games, but I got away from it in high school when I was in the Marines. Um, A friend of mine from California reintroduced me to uh, historical simulation board gaming, and I've been pretty much hooked since.
2: As as someone who's not familiar with these types of games, I've seen them played, uh, but I'm, I've never played them myself. Explain to people who might not be familiar exactly how they are played. Uh, military
1: historical um, recreations are taking a historical situation and translating it into paper and cardboard. And it's a... A simplistic study of something that occurred. It is definitely not all-encompassing. Rarely a, a cultural. Um, it is more strategic in nature, and it's simply a way of of having competition between two players, uh, much as in chess.
2: Well, Professor Jennings, you can feel free to to jump in uh, into the discussion at any point if you know, there's there's something that you want to discuss with John, and I'm glad that you two were actually able to, to speak. Uh, but, John, what was it that you used as your guide for information to start developing this game? Because, you know, we were talking earlier in the first hour, I know you weren't listening, but we were talking about how Uh, You know, a lot of people get information about King Philip's War by going to Wikipedia or going to a few websites that just have very brief overviews. So, I mean, what resources were we able to use to try to gather more information?
1: Good evening, Professor Jennings.
2: Hi, how are you, John?
1: Very good. Um, The two primary sources that I used were King Philip's War by Eric Schultz and Michael Tegaius and Flintlock and Tomahawk. Um, New England and King Philip's War by Douglas Edward Leach. But four other good works on the topic would be Mary Blinson, um, An Account of Her Captivity During the War,
4: Right. Uh,
1: The Name of War by Jill Lepore, So Dreadful a Judgment by Richard Slotkin and James K. Folsom, and more recently Mayflower, A Story of Courage, Community and War by Nathaniel Philbrick, who is something of a myth buster, turning the Pilgrim uh, legends on its head.
2: Well, that sounds that sounds like something I should definitely pick up. Yeah. Uh, so now you take all this information, and how do you develop the game from that point? How do you take all this information they've accumulated and put it into a strategy simulation game?
1: Well, first off, you look for a situation that's, that's interesting, um, something that provides um, something unique that that has not been overplayed. Um, I avoid civil war and the Second World War for the most part um, because so much has been done in those areas. I pretty much tend to go towards the backwaters of history, and what I'm looking for are situations where. There's a lot of flux in in gameplay, as there was in history. And in King Philip's War, it could have very easily gone either way. As the beginning of the conflict, uh, King Philip definitely had an advantage, and the uh, colonists were rocked back on their heels. Um, was not a great deal of cooperation among the uh, colonies. And it seemed like um, for a while uh, the colonists were very, very worried.
2: Was there uh, some trepidation on your part when you were putting things together that maybe the natives would have a a reaction to this as as strongly as they have? Or was it more a matter of, you know, the, the story needs to be told and this is one format that can get the information out there, so you thought they'd probably be on board with that?
1: Well, I had no idea that wounds in this 350-year-old war were still so raw. Mm -hmm. Had I understood this, I definitely would have contacted tribal historians long ago if I'd known that they were there. Um, As I said, I really didn't know about the conflict, let alone the existence of um, tribal entities in the area, which is something in in talking with um, Professor Jennings I learned are far more extant than I had any idea.
4: Yeah, and just to add to that, um, because this history has been uh, placed under the rug, as we've been saying, um, it, it, it has not allowed healing to take place. Mm-hmm. You see, because also, if you've been watching the news, you've also have been witnessing uh, the Indian War, if you want to call it. The longest war is still being fought. The average playing out with the Narragansett tribe in the smoke shop raid. You see? And so when people have responded to that, who are non native, they're responding in most part having misinformation or misinformation, and so they really don't know the complexities behind all of it. You see? Sure. And this yeah, so, is why yeah. I wanted
1: to bring yeah. attention to not only the conflict, but the existence of tribes in that area. If I had believed that the game was going to injure the larger character of the American Indian, I would have killed the game long ago. I don't see it as doing anything more than I designed it to do: act as a vehicle for people ignorant of the conflict to learn more about the monumental Native struggle to hold back the European. And I... Consider myself quite the opposite. I empathize more than my detractors give me credit for.
2: Well, I—I'll say this. I mean, obviously, we're making an assumption on this game based on you know what's been portrayed in the media and what information we've gotten off the MultimanPublishing.com website. But in the actual development of the entire game as a whole, I mean, is it was it more sensitive? toward the natives and what you've designed, or are there now going to be changes made before it goes into full production?
1: It was never ready for publication. It is it is a game in flux, as most games are, right up until publication. Um, knowing that there is more information to be had, I will seek it out.
2: I can just imagine now that there's been a, a dialogue created between yourself and, and the native peoples that – this could really be a, a very strong tool for getting the word out there, and I was—I jokingly mentioned to, to Professor Jennings on the phone the other night that if they made, you know, the colonial edition and the native edition, there wouldn't even <laughs> be an, you know, there wouldn't even be an argument here because you could pick which, you know, which side you want to annihilate. Because there's there's some colonists that I'd like to annihilate. From.
1: But you—you you bring up a, a very good point. Um, many people think of history as static. There being one history, there's no such thing.
7: Right.
1: Um, history is interpreted a hundred different ways by a hundred different people. And each of us will take from history what we want to take. The best a historian can offer is as balanced a view as he can based on the knowledge he has. And I did the best I could with what I had. I hope to do better.
4: Yeah, and and again, having this dialogue, one of the things we discussed, and we had this, uh, talked about it previously. I don't know if John was listening, um, and I, I totally believe that he he did not know. And I don't mean that in, in a very—I don't mean that to say be ignorant about it. But again, to have focused on one little group and not cast a, a larger net. Um, when you deal with Native peoples, you know, we're a very large political entity, and um, more people need to be involved in in that. And, again, I think that we're on the same page, and I want to open up opportunities where he can meet and speak with uh, Native leaders so that this game could possibly be the best game, you know, he and and MMP can
2: produce. It sounds like it could be the best game that anybody's produced in terms of factual information, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, because I can't imagine that there's other... I I can't imagine there's still representatives of the Nazi Party that want to join in in the creation of a World War II game, John. (laughs)
1: Uh, Not that I know of.
2: So, and we have our our Rhode Island historian who we turn to, Andrew Lake. He's here with us in the studio. And and Andrew, you were mentioning during the, the break that one of the things that could be addressed in this game is the Conflicts between the different native tribes.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I hear a lot of people talk about King Philip's War as if it was a strictly, uh, you know, Caucasian-European against Native American. And the thing that uh, strikes me that I find very sad about the conflict is there were Native Americans siding up with the English authorities uh, to settle old grudges uh, that they had before um, the Europeans even set foot in North America. I, I thought that was... Um, You know, probably one of the saddest things about the conflict is it was Native American signing, you know, siding up with the uh, whites with their muskets and trying to to kill their own.
4: Yeah, guns became very attractive, especially when uh, you got to go back to the Wampum fur trade, where that you know definitely became the capitalistic engine. You know, uh, making uh, New England becoming you know a part of this uh, international market for for Native peoples wanting European goods and so forth and so on. They, they saw the potential in all of that. So you're absolutely right. You know, this division started to take place.
0: I also uh, understand that um, at the great uh, swamp fight uh, in Rhode Island, the fortification that the Narragansetts were hiding in was actually uh, designed uh, by, a, um, by a white who uh, took um, the side of the Narragansett. And Interesting. That, that, I hadn't heard that. That fortification was quite impressive. And that's what led to the frustration of the um the Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Massachusetts militiamen to have to use fire as a weapon against that fortification, which led to at least two hundred people being burned to death and I understand uh that it has been said that uh that uh, Benjamin Church the Rhode Island uh militia officer uh when that happened that's when his heart really started to uh, to turn and make him you know question his own actions as a as a uh, mi- military man, if, th- if this fight had finally you know, gone so far to be you know, I- as awful as it was. And uh, I've been just told recently by a friend of mine, Jim McNasher a uh, historian in Smithfield, that uh, the King Philip War could have come to a head uh, in Smithfield, Rhode Island, and not uh, Rehoboth, Massachusetts. There was almost the same uh, uh, conflict, the same uh, rock structure in a, a swamp in uh, Smithfield where uh, the, uh, the Native Americans had held up. And it's even believed that Philip may have actually been there as well. And uh, it is uh, believed that uh, Benjamin Church allowed them to uh, retreat because he was just getting so sick of the bloodshed.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, John, you did, I'm reading over the uh, description of the game that's from the website, and it does mention that uh, the uh, fragile Indian alliances are one of the aspects of the game and that it seems like this is something that you've been able to bring in, the fact that there was so much, so much turnover in, in the alliances.
1: Yes, both uh, in the game, both the English player and the Indian player have the opportunity to bring in additional reinforcements based on diplomacy. Um, King Philip's diplomacy in the game is based on um, how successful his campaign is going. Um, basically, you he, he don't back a horse that isn't winning. So, in other words, the more he di- the better he does, the more tribes he's able to bring in on his side. At the same time, um, the English are able to gradually bring in um, smaller tribes to aid him or to aid the English plotter, um, based on the success of the English.
2: No, I'm, I gotta say, I am looking at the pictures of the game uh, on online, and I just see a, a board that looks like a map and a bunch of playing pieces. Uh, and to me, the game sounds like it's extremely complex and intricate. Oh
1: no, not at all. Um, in uh, relation to most war games, uh, on a scale of one to ten, this is somewhere around a, a three to
2: four. Okay, but it does seem like it, it's it's is involved. At the very least, uh, in very rich in the history of it. It's not just you know moving pieces about a map. It's you're actually learning and, and absorbing this information as you go along.
1: That's what um, historical simulation wargaming is about. It is it is not simply um, rolling the dice and moving around a track on the outside of a board like like we did when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, it is attempting to take specific aspects of the conflict and recreating them on the board mm-hmm. and in the process learning about it discussing it and inevitably players are going to take away information that's going to make them do further research
2: and i think that if you can get them to get to that point where they are going to delve into it further and we're able to provide them with the right resources then we're going to see probably a greater teaching done through the use of this game than we're getting out of history books.
4: Well, yeah, because here's the piece. When um, John was mentioning all these wonderful books that are available available for research, even The Red King's Rebellion is a, another excellent book by Boyne. um, If you don't know about this conflict, then you don't know where to go get these books. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a bibliography of some sort... You know, um, however, he goes about saying, "Well, here's we, further reading can be had." you know, again, that's a great thing that That's an that's, opportunity for sure.
1: That is typically included in a good game. Um, most of the people, as I said, who are involved in in, uh, in these games are adults. Um, many of them are well read, well educated, and they look forward to the bibliography, just as you mentioned. So to leave it out, they would, they would wonder, you know, where you got your information.
4: Sure. And another point uh, in one of the articles, uh, I think it was the one in Pro- the Projo Province Journal, was you uh, seemed very uh, amazed or astonished or taken aback even that New England Indians were sold out uh, as slaves. Uh, oh no, not at all. Oh, right, the way um, they I had, had I it phrased. I Don't
1: know where you got that because I had actually included that in the original. Um, Introductory history in the game. Now, uh, when we were speaking, the the original article that I read in the magazine that astonished me. Yes.
4: Okay, that's where I was getting that from. And you know, what's really interesting is in the blogs that followed the um, this piece that has come out about the game. It's interesting because many had said, well, the New England Indians are not Indians because, you know, they either look African or they, they look white. And that is so, that that's that's my bugaboo. That's the piece that really needs to be explained. If this uh, game gives it that light, that would be a wonderful thing. Because, again, people don't understand. As slaves were coming into the colony as early as uh, 1638, um, it gave opportunity for communities of color where um, Africans, whites, and Native peoples, you know, had relations. And so now you have a bi or a tri-racial uh, history, you know. And that needs to be explained because we never based our um, our membership on blood. Membership is always determined through uh, community and society. And people don't understand that.
5: I got a question. Why don't you uh, create like a DVD DVD? Uh... Preamble to the game. In other words, you watch a history of what's known before that way the players get an idea of what the his, real history was, covering both points.
1: That's that's an interesting approach, and to my knowledge, I don't think any game has ever done that. Um, that is not my call. That that would be MMP's call.
2: Well, yeah. I, I don't want to volunteer anybody here, but we have a filmmaker in the studio who <laughs> yeah. <It> has access <laughs> well, to all these actual sites. <laughs> let's not
0: forget Aaron, though. Aaron Cashew, has been—he's been—he's been ahead of the curve on this for a while as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm.
5: But you get my point. Yeah, people. Okay, because it's such an unknown war, let's give them a little actual history lesson. Let's give them the actual and, uh, visuals of the sites right. and and everything too. Right.
2: You know, it could it could be done pretty easily if you. Or- We'll talk with Brian about that, I think john. if if you wouldn't mind uh, us opening up that dialogue.
1: Oh, I mean, all all ideas are out on the table, I'm sure. I think the one thing that that would have to be taken into consideration there is is the game cost, mm-hmm. which right. it's a business, and it's it's Brian's call as to whether or not something like that would be viable. Um, it certainly sounds like a good idea it, if it would could be produced inexpensively.
5: Or you don't necessarily have to include it in the game. It can be something that's on the website. Sure. Hey, go yeah. to our website. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, you know, Download movie. it.
4: Yeah, and there's the movie We Shall Remain, which is all about the King Philip's War. Um, you could, they could be led to that in that bibliography, too, to say you should watch
2: this. Mm-hmm. You know what, maybe we could do it, and I'm, I'm, I'm just spitballing here, but uh, maybe we could put something together, Andrew. We could work with multi-men to put it up there, and maybe they could donate a portion of those proceeds yeah. to Native American workers. Yeah, Awareness I mean, I,
0: I, think, I think Matt's uh, hit upon a very, very good idea, because, I mean, Spooky South Coast has uh, done its best to uh, educate people about the King Philip's War through the paranormal aspect of mm-hmm. it. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt and I took part in that, uh, that night. That was a, it was a fantastic night. But if, if we're going to use a uh, a war strategy game uh, to educate people, um, I think having some place for people to go and to, to get a history lesson um, before playing the game I think is an excellent idea.
2: Sure. Well, we have a call on the line for, for both John and, and Professor Jennings. Uh, before we take this call, let me throw out the numbers, 508 996 500 996 1420 You can also email us, Crew at spookysouthcoast.com. One thing I will ask though if you call in and this goes to the callers on the line as well, when we're, you know, wrapping up uh, your portion of the discussion, please hang up because if we disconnect you, we're going to disconnect John as well. So we'd like to try to avoid that. All right. Let's go right to the phone line there. Good evening. You were on Spooky South Coast with John Paniski and Professor Julianne Jennings. How are you doing?
6: Hey Tam, it's Craig again. Hey Craig, thanks. And I got one question for each, if if that be possible. Absolutely, Uh, John. I understand the term cursory when it applies to what the board game is and a general understanding of it. Uh, But with all the primary sources that you stated that you pulled from, uh, why was most of the war uh, completely missed? And what I'm talking about on that is, in order to understand the war, you have to have information about the pre-war. Uh, The interaction with the Pilgrim of 1620, the Taunton Agreement and so forth, on that aspect, uh, the the pretext was done in 12-point type with a large photo, highly justified. If you drop it to like an 8 or uh, a 10-point, at least you could put some information in there. And I'll get to Dr. Jennings real quick. And, Dr. Jennings, the question for you is, uh, what is being done prior to this controversy, and what uh, what about before or, or after? And why was it not being actively relating this history up until now? And tell him I'll get off the line and listen online.
2: Okay. John, so uh, the first question to you uh, posed is about the prehistory that Craig just mentioned.
1: Um, I'm not entirely sure I understood the question. Um, but if I did, um, if he's asking why there was not any history going back any further than than. Um, what I stated, it's because I'm limited to the amount of of space, and what is there is simply the um, the working piece. Mm-hmm. In other words, nothing is final. It's what I put up uh, to pitch the game to brian And um, yes, there was a great deal that went before, but how far back can you go? True. Um, I did, uh, I'll read a portion, Um, early haughty Plymouth settlers labeled the equally haughty Wampanoag Sachem or Chief Metacomet King Philip. Uh, Philip felt that he had reason to be haughty, lied to, encroached upon, evangelized, um, and dragged into pilgrim courts as his father had been. Metacomet felt he'd put up with enough. Um, The purpose of the game was not to give the entire history, Mm -hmm. but to give a taste of what went before.
3: And
1: And as I said, if there's going to be a a bibliographic list, it's easy enough for people to go further.
2: And I don't think when you were designing the game either, you realized that uh, you were basically becoming such a a, a mouthpiece for the history of the conflict either. I mean, you're, you're creating a war strategy game based on the war itself.
1: Honestly, I it seems i've also become a mouthpiece for uh, simulation <laughs> board gaming as well and i never expected that
2: that's true too and uh, professor jenning's craig's question for you about and this is an interesting point that it's a you know it, it is kind of a little sensitive to to discuss because the native people in this area have such a hard time getting themselves recognized uh in like mainstream media anyway okay. But he does have a point. Why isn't there more of an effort, or is there, and we're just not aware of it, to educate people about Kinfield's war? That's
4: interesting. I think you have to go back in uh, school history. How how many or how often do Native students make it to professorial level to even talk about this? <laughs> um, when you understand that there's a 2.5 dropout rate for Native students, I think in the last Survey that I had read—I don't remember, recall how old it is—but less than one percent of uh, professors are native. Wow!
7: <laughs>
4: and so, you'll, you know, history then has been left up, left to the other. How accurate? Well, we can see that's not really happening. And not to say that all non-Indian professors, you know, aren't compassionate like I'm hearing. Uh, John. Um, uh,
1: I, I would like to add add something, um, if I might, Professor Jennings. Um, I am personally dissatisfied with how King Philip's War is portrayed in our um, school textbooks. Oh yeah. I teach seventh and eighth grade history. Eighth grade being American history, and the current book that we are using, the American Journey, states King Philip's War, as the conflict was called. Ended in defeat for the Wampanoag and their allies. The war destroyed the power of the Native Americans in New England. The colonists went out free to expand their settlements. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, I know better, and I <laughs> teach the more brutal truth that the American Indians were defeated of their lands, weakened by European disease, and degraded as a people. After they assisted their starving antagonists, um, that Philip seems to have a right to rise up and that a lot of women and children on both sides suffered because of the greed of the colonists. This was particularly true after the war. When colonial leaders scrambled to capture and sell any of their opponents, they could find to pay for the um, the war, largely to depopulate a rich area that they wanted for themselves.
2: It, it, it is amazing that, uh, and that's in your textbook where you live in, and you live in, in Pennsylvania, right, John?
1: Um, I live in Pennsylvania. I
2: teach in Maryland. Oh, well, okay. Well, then that's Maryland. That's more information than we have in our textbooks <laughs> yeah, here is. in southeastern Massachusetts. Yes. I oh, yeah. promise you that. Yeah. Wow. We don't even have Where that. Where it happens.
4: <laughs> I think we go as far back as, you know, happy Seas, happy time, pilgrims and Indians, right?
2: Yeah, pretty and, much. And
4: that's about it. And everybody makes, you know, colored and paper headbands and, you know, they march up and down the school hallways having a little pilgrim parade. That's about as far it. as it goes. It's not talked about here.
5: It jumps from that to the American Revolution. Uh,
2: yeah. And I, I was really? mentioning earlier in the show that I, you know, when I came into doing this program, you know, uh, over four years ago, I was in my late 20s, and I had never even heard of King Philip's War until it was brought up in relation to the paranormal.
4: You know, and I went through the same school system when I talked to my students that they had gone through um, regarding, um, you know, knowing. Learning about native peoples, and I was told when I was a young kid, All, all the Indians are dead. You know, how does an eight year old or nine year old, you know, native child, you know, deal with that? So, uh, you know, we have a lot of cleaning up to do, I think.
2: Absolutely, and I can tell you, for as long as we've been discussing this here on the show, I think I felt more of a connection with native people than I ever did before. Uh, but growing up, when we did play Cowboys and Indians, I was always the Indian, and <laughs> that's only because I thought it was way cooler to to use a bow and arrow, made out of a stick, than a gun made out of a stick. So,
1: but at well, least from, from that point of view, um, my purpose for creating the game has already done what I wanted it to do: draw attention to the war, to the conflict, to the situation.
2: And now that the The natives know or they're becoming aware that the game is actually going to be uh, very balanced in its portrayal i think you'll see a lot of that community get behind it and that'll only help uh, help people use it as a teaching tool as well
1: i I hope i hope by this time people
4: start to realize that well that's what we're pushing for i was at the uh rhode island indian council of gathering so, you know, social last night, and they all you know gathered around, you know, what's the latest, what's the latest, and um, you, you're getting a lot of head nods saying this would be great, everybody getting involved and in making this into a learning tool, because we want our story to be told, you know, and, and, and it needs well, to I, be.
1: Well, I, I have <clears throat> been amazed myself by the number of um, postings I have seen where people go, Wow, I never heard of this before. I didn't know this was around. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. And that was the point.
2: So now we just need to make sure that there's enough pre-orders then to to get the game into production. I don't think that's going to be a problem. (laughs) No. Well, if anybody would like to to order the game ahead of time, you can go to com. It's linked up right on the front page of spooky SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, estimated retail price is $40, but if you pre-order it now, you'll get it for $30 plus shipping and handling. So go right ahead and, and sign up for it because it's not going to be the game that's being portrayed in all these news stories. It's not going to be, you know, let's go out and kill the Indians. It's going to be a very balanced and, and informative game and, If it's for level three or four type players, I think I have a chance with it. (laughs) Well, now now normally we talk about the paranormal here on the show, and it seems like even when we try to go outside that topic, things always tend to come back to it. Naturally, with King Philip's War, that happens all the time because of what an impact it has uh, with the paranormal discussion here in southern New England. But, John, you actually have an interesting business uh, that – kind of it just fits in perfectly with our program
1: um my wife and i started a historic ghost walk um, several years ago in our little town of waynesboro pennsylvania um waynesboro was home to one of the first american-made cannon used in the revolutionary war it hosted great generals and great armies waynesboro produced a civil war congressional medal of honor winner um it uh it's a devastating fires um it was involved in the french and indian war on and on there are subterranean tunnels beneath the town and um in my researching the history of the town i discovered that there were quite a few hauntings that people wanted to talk about so having gone on a particularly bad ghost walk in gettysburg i decided i could do much better in my own hometown
2: and what's the response been? Has it been a lot of, uh, of?
1: It's been very, very good, very, very good. Um, people uh, go on our walks and they learn a great deal of the history, which is which is my primary uh, motivation. And along with it, they find very interesting the stories of the hauntings. Um, my wife, um, my I myself have not been involved in any. Um, supernatural happenings, but I was present when my wife um, was contacted by her grandfather and it just spooked the heck out of me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully these the spirits will come out and interact more on the walk then because it's good for business if they do.
1: Oh, yes. Um, I wanted to share with you, I thought you might find it interesting. Uh, every time we go out on a walk, <clears throat> I learn just like I learn in the classroom from my students. Uh, Last year, I had some patrons tell me about uh, a haunting in their home. They've lived in their home for five years, a family of five, three children. And they said that since they have lived there, they have all seen a a girl of about seven or eight long blonde hair, always wears uh, a an antique nightdress. And one particular incident was somewhat chilling. Um, the mother, who was in the hall, passed by her bedroom door and noticed uh, one of the children sitting on the bed, facing the bedstead, and, with her arm moving up and down in a slow motion. And she walked in and said, what are you doing? She said, I'm combing her hair. And the mother said, who's here? My friends. And they're carried on a three-way conversation between the spirit, the child, and the mother, in which the child translated what this spirit was saying, pausing every so often, asking for confirmation on things she didn't understand, things a child of of six years old would not do. Wow!
2: Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you, as I like to consider myself not spooked, uh, I. Do some paranormal investigating from time to time, and Mm -hmm. it takes a lot to spook me. But for some reason, it's always the kid ghosts that get to me, Mm -hmm. especially when they talk to you and they ask you if you want to play dress up. (laughs) (laughs) We've we've had happen, but uh, I mean, it, it really is fascinating how how easy it is to sneak history. Into people's minds and into people's daily routines when you can just use ghosts as the way to get it in there.
5: That's how Balzano does it in his classes.
2: Yeah, that's how it, uh, so many of our friends and colleagues are doing it now. And we, we know historical societies and libraries that are doing I've it. I've just
0: been invited by an historic society in uh, Rhode Island to please give a talk at their uh, monthly meeting.
2: Yeah, come for the ghosts, stay for the history. That's pretty much the way <laughs> yeah. it works. Now, Great. Professor Jennings, I know that you were hedging a little bit about. Talking about it, but you've had some paranormal experiences yourself.
4: Yes, I was invited to walk uh, Widamo Woods, and Widamo was married to Wumpsada Alexander. Uh, she was also the sage of the Pocasset. And um, so we're walking through the woods, and we're actually starting to talk about Widamo in particular, and um, all of a sudden, uh, our hair began to just stand up on Anna, on our arms and, and so forth, and and there she was. You want to see a middle-aged woman bolt out of the forest? <laughs> 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 it, it, yeah, and I I was terrified. I I don't get like that, and I was terrified that I would never return again to that location. And that's where you guys need to go.
2: Oh, yeah. it def- definitely sounds. It sounds like we're we're going to send Andrew yeah. and Matt there yeah. to <laughs> our uh, our annual investigation program. <laughs> that. It, it seems though, like, uh, and you can probably speak to this better than we can, Professor Jennings. But it seems like that type of experience to a native culture is just part of their belief system.
4: Yeah, it uh, it totally is part of our belief system. And what's really interesting too, how many I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, native peoples walking through the woods, and you can you can feel them there, you know, and you sense them there, and you know that kind of a thing. So. Uh...
2: And the one thing that we always try to put to rest on this program is whenever anybody calls up and says, oh, I live in Fairhaven or New Bedford or Dartmouth, you know, towns around this area, and uh, my home is built on an Indian burial ground. Well, around these parts, it's all an Indian burial <laughs> yeah. ground, right? Yeah. yeah. It is. See, there you go. Yeah. We're not just blowing smoke when we tell you people that. It really is the <laughs> whole <laughs> area. Is and pardon the pun, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly.
1: I, <laughs> I if really. you don't mind. Um, I would like to, to share something with you. My, my wife and I took a, uh, a trip to Hawaii last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a particularly informative. Uh, we, we stayed with some old, old friends on a military base, and uh, they directed us to a native ghost tour there. And the native Hawaiian who took us on, on the tour took us to various um, battle sites and he was extremely respectful. He, he told us, um, that we, we were communing with those who came before and we had to be respectful as well. And, but he, at the same time, he said, make sure that you take lots and lots of pictures because you will find something. And we all nodded our head and said, well, okay, we'll see. Um, but in the end, when we went through all of the pictures we took, we were flabbergasted to wind up Getting a a partial picture, a, a kind of faded picture of a uh, a native Hawaiian in a mask, and this was taken up into a tree just randomly. Wow,
2: wow. <laughs> I'd like to see that actually. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing and and yeah you know, it's just another example though of the the spirits that are attached to a, a different culture other than our own you know but it seems to be universal no matter what the people are that you're discussing these these ghostly spirits are universal well i thank you both for joining us and i'm glad that the controversy is behind this whole topic and that everybody's moving forward i'm sure it helped sell a few newspapers but the bottom line is is you know people actually want to work together to get this information out there and when do you expect the game to to get into production john with the you know, the overhauls that are expected to be made now.
1: Um, That's entirely up to MMP, but I did hear Brian mentioned um, late this year, uh, possibly in the fall. Um, But, again, that's not my call.
2: Sure. Well, and I'll share this with Brian, too, but if you can keep us up to date so we can let people know when it is released. But, again, if you want to pre-order it, you'll save $10 off the price if you go to multimanpublishing.com, and it's linked up. Uh, on spookysouthcoast. com as well, if you want to go through that way. And I mean, we're just excited to to have another outlet for people to learn about this. And John, if you ever decide to come up to this area and you want to see some of these sites and some of where the battles took place, I, I can promise you, you've got three or four tour guides here that would be happy to take definitely, you. Definitely,
1: please. I, you know what? I, in the future, I definitely will. So I look forward to it. And I want to thank you, Tim, for inviting me on this show and for being part of the solution.
5: And if you want, we'll videotape some of the places for you and email them down to you, just so you can see great. what that looks like. Yeah, okay. with, yeah with the,
4: the Rhode Island Indian Council, we're trying to uh, work out maybe getting him down
2: here. Excellent. Well, we'd love to meet right. you in person. And Professor Jennings, thank you for joining us. And we'd like to make you our go-to contact when it comes to, to Native American affairs, because so often I've... I've kind of hit brick walls trying to find people that can discuss matters here on the show. So we thank you for your time and we look forward to working with you more in the future.
4: Thank you. Thank
2: you. All right. Have a good night. And to everybody out there, thank you for joining us and for taking time out of our usual paranormal discussion to talk about something that really is important, I think. If we had let this go, we wouldn't have been doing our job. You know, To say that it doesn't fit the format of our program uh, because we talk about the supernatural and the paranormal, we wouldn't have been doing our job. Our job here with this time that we're given is to educate people and enlighten people to things that they need to know about. And if we find something and we become passionate about it, we want to share it to our audience, and it seems like every time we do it, our audience becomes passionate about it as well. So thank you to Audrey for post, uh, suggesting the story to Luann. Thank you to Luann for posting it. Thank you for Craig for all the work that you do. Thank you to Sean for always being a resource for us and to all of our listeners for making sure that at least through the people that listen to this program, and it's thousands of people every week, but still it's only a small chunk of people that need to be educated about King Philip's War and it needs to be told in a complete manner, not just from the one-sided view that The very few history books that do include it uh, like to tell it. So we'll be back next week. No NCAA basketball on the station this year, so we'll be back next week with another program where we'll get a little bit more into the paranormal. And if you want to check out some of our previous shows on King Philip's War or some of our investigation shows into the Bridgewater Triangle where we go to some of these sites where we usually send Matt and Andy out there because (laughs) Matt Koss and I are both, A, way too uh, afraid to go out there, uh, be afraid of catching malaria from those mosquitoes, because yeah. we always send them out during mosquito season, and you know somebody's got to hold down the fort. So, yeah. but we'll have one of those shows coming up uh, in the warmer weather. We decided that from now on we're not going to send them out in February, <laughs> as we have in the past. <laughs> but we'll we'll do an investigation show coming up in the warmer months. Uh, but for now, if you want to learn more about King Philip's War and learn more about the paranormal connections behind it, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com. You can download all of our past episodes there. You can listen to them right online. Uh, and You can also get them through iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, and wherever podcasts are found. So, uh, and the latest one is up there. I, I posted it up to the feed tonight, Matt. So all you got to do is get it under the archives, and we're good to go. Right. So So uh, until next week, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Andrew Lake, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular.
5: Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until... AM 1420 WPSL Tomorrow, tomorrow...
6: the supernatural as something that isn't supposed to